Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And we should probably not mess around this week, man. We got a ton of previews to talk about. Long list of cards. Uh, nothing. Nobody comments. Go. Talk about cards. This isn't normal. We don't normally do this. Uh, card number one. Uh, Redain, God of Justice. I wasn't prepared. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> two dub, two three, legendary creature god, flying vigilance, snow lands your opponent's control, enter the battlefield tapped, non-creature spells your opponent's cast with converted mana cost four or more, cost two more to cast, and it's a DFC, so the backside is Redain Shield, three dub, legendary artifact, if a source an opponent controls would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent one of that damage. Whenever you or a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell unless it's control and pays one. Go. Okay, now I'm ready for some nonsense. So magic discourse is so interesting to me. There, there's a lot I purposefully avoid because I want to make sure my opinions are my own and are genuine and are just based on my interpretation of these cards because I think that's what people are here for for better or worse like i will share my ideas i don't want to just parrot someone else's ideas so in a lot of forms i'm careful about what i expose myself to like i won't listen to a lot of other podcasts because i don't want to crib their style or you know steal their sound bites or whatever I, i'm just cautious about those things so i try to be ultra cautious when i expose myself to the talk around previews and not get caught up in narratives and all that nonsense but the narrative around this card is that it's not good enough. And when I saw this card, I was like, this is way too good. And I hate it because obviously we talked a lot about the need for there to be downside of playing Snowlands. There has to be some reason why you don't just always run these over basics. And like this does that. It, it existence gives you a plausible reason to avoid playing Snowlands in your deck for no upside and bluff equity. That's good. I I'm on board with that. But also, this card is like, okay, on its face. I, th I think it's a fine magic card to include in a bunch of decks and will hose some things pretty effectively. You know, Elspeth Conquers Death gets hit pretty hard by this. And I think even the backside, Redain Shield, I think preventing one damage in a lot of spots is really strong. If you've never had that in play before, it can be a little under-assuming on its face, but it, it does a lot more than you think it does. Uh, and then you add a tax onto it. I think the card is like good enough without the snow stuff. But if there is an actual snow deck, which we're going to get into a lot of snow cards today, and it seems like there should be a snow deck, there's some pretty good reasons to go hard into that path. This is just a one-card hoser that hits them. It hits their efficiency so brutally. Like having every land you play come into play tapped, that's that's not recoverable. You you can't play around that in some instances. And well, let let me say that if you're playing snow, I I wrote an article uh, about this, you know, a few days ago. So before we had all the cards, but if you want to get your snow count up, you have to play a bunch of those ETB tap duels anyway. So well, unless you're monocolored snow though, and I, there's sure. incentives to do that. I mean, I, I think that's a very reasonable deck as well. I think the default snow deck, you're right. The default snow deck seems to be setting itself into Sultai, which is going to play a bunch of tap lands anyway. So fair point. It, but, it's, it still messes you up though. Absolutely. Yeah. Just every land you play for the entire game being tapped is problematic. And it feels like this card is way too on the nose and it existence, its existence alone does so much to discourage that from being a real archetype. And if that archetype does gain any traction, I don't like the idea of just like a single card 
hard hosing the archetype. Like we've gotten away from that over the years where there's no more city in a bottle. There's no more that type of stuff that just closes off an entire portion of the game. And I think it was important for a card like Redain to exist. I just think this went too far. I'm I'm less concerned about the snow hoser, although when I uh, was writing my second article this week, I basically I just you know penciled in the snowlands in all the deck lists, and this card got previewed while I was writing it, and then I had to like actually go back and think about what the risks and rewards were because some of them were like, well, I kind of want like a shock in my sideboard, so I'll play two frostbites and like. Now I'm just like, well, since this card exists, like, do I actually want to do that? Because it's not like, you know, they they side in this card against you and you side in a bunch of removal spells. It's like, no, they're going to be decks playing this main, right? So right. there there is a, a pretty big cost now to doing that. You are actively disincentivized from playing Snowlands just because. Uh, but like the second part of the hoser, the like taxing non-creature CMC for more, that is super powerful. That's the thing that, feels like really unfair to me for this card and I'm, I'm actually okay with it. I think it's fine, but I do think that that's like the, the more egregious aspect of it. Yeah. Well, you can't talk about one without the other though. Like the fact that it has that egregious aspect is why I'm so concerned about how hard it hits snow decks. Cause you can talk yourself into playing it for other purposes. Like it, it yeah. it's good. And the body's good. Like two, three flying vigilance will do that's a lot fine. against smaller aggro decks. And there's a particularly good one drop in this set. Maybe, maybe a couple of them that incentivize some of those smaller aggro decks. So I, yeah. I like seeing those bodies, but I don't know. I, I I just think you could have, you needed an effect like this. I just think this goes a little bit too far and I would have done less. And it's not even like, I think it's a huge mistake. Like it, it'll be fine. I don't think it's egregious, but to see the reaction and people come out saying this doesn't do enough. And I had the exact polar opposite reaction was really shocking to me. Yeah, that is it is strange for sure. I mean, this is still a creature. It's still very killable, obviously. Uh, one of the things that I was looking at with some of these creatures and, uh, I don't know, like Sarulf and Jorn, they're these three mana three threes, right? And it's like, well, that's not a very good stat line typically, but this format has Blood Chief's Thirst and Bonecrusher Giant as kind of like the premier removal spells, right? Right. And... This also dodges both of those to to some degree. So, the I think I think three toughness on a three mana creature is something that is definitely undervalued. So it's like, oh, it's a creature; it's very easily killable, and it's like, eh, is it? You know, and it's it's kind of weird to me that you know things like Thalia, uh, obviously like a very good card, and you're usually playing it in decks that just have a bunch of creatures anyway. But like this, you can just play with your own spells. You know, because this only affects your opponents, which is also kind of strange to me. But I guess it it makes sense with the the backside, I suppose. Like, obviously, you don't want to like tax the the shield, but yeah, this is this is strange to me that it's like a one sided hoser and it's not symmetrical. I really like that for tracking purposes. I think that's one of my biggest knocks against Thalia. As I there's just too many GRVs game rule violations that come with that card, and things get missed too often and. I, I'm cool with it being pushed to one side, even if it feels a little different. Your point about removal is a really good one. I also think, though, as I look at all these snow decks, and I guess this brings me to my thoughts on this set, I've, I've been very low on this set, really underwhelmed by the power level. 
that's starting to change. I think the last two days in particular really brought some meaningful cards. But up until this point, I really wasn't impressed with much of what I was seeing. And part of it is that when I put together things like the snow decks, I have a really hard time seeing them keep up with just the relentless aggression that Embercleave decks can bring to the table. Gruel in particular. I mean, like I, I just think about all of these decks against Gruel, and I'm like, this feels like it just gets blown out of the water. And if you add in something like this, which is an absolute tempo destroyer, like I don't know if there's a Boros deck, but just in general, if there's a way to really keep them behind curve, I'm already concerned about their ability to keep pace. And I think the parasitic nature of snow means that if you block off this mechanic too hard, you've cut a large portion of this set out of constructed. And I don't want to see that happen. So that's why I'm more concerned about this card than its actual raw power level. But like I said, I think the backside is underrated. That effect is more meaningful than people expect. And the front side is certainly good enough to see play. Yeah, absolutely. This should see historic play too. Okay. I I would expect like the second, the, like the tax to be very powerful and historic. The problem is, is like, there's not really like a white creature aggro deck, but like there are a bunch of pieces there. There's collected companies, stuff like that. So yeah. uh, I'm kind of interested in this card there as well, because yeah. obviously, I guess, like, I guess you have Thalia there too. I mean, I yeah. we always forget about that card, but at, at some point you'll have enough of these meaningful white creatures to tax your opponent all over the place. Yeah, so I like this card. I think it's it's going to show up in a lot of spots. Uh, almost certainly going to see this slotting in in you know hate bar hate bear style stuff in like modern. Uh, yep. Maybe not maybe not in huge numbers or whatever, but like it's definitely going to be it's going to be there. Yeah, in modern, it's unfortunate that it's only non creature spells with converted mana cast for and more. I think like the the big spells in modern tend to be creatures, primeval titan, uh, even like. Niv Mizzet, like that's a very meaningful modern creature, but it doesn't feel like there's too much for this to really tax on the front side. But, you know, Snowlands matter there, and maybe the backside matters a lot there. Yep. Starnheim Unleashed. Two dub dub sorcery. Create a 4 4 white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance. If this spell was foretold, create X of those tokens instead. Foretell XX dub. I don't have a lot of love for this card. The fair side just doesn't do much for me. I I mean, it's obviously it's not there for that. You're, you're not trying to make a 4-4 White Angel Warrior, but it will come up sometimes. I don't like that foretell can't be done on the same turn. Yeah, so that, really, that's a big thing. Yeah, you really like are punished for top decking this card in late game scenarios. You can't turn it into something very meaningful immediately. And that's tough for a finisher like this. And that was the big feature of something like Entreat the Angels is that it just turns the game immediately. This needs two turns to do that. Now, if you just have enough time in the early game to futz around and spend all your mana foretelling stuff, maybe that's good. But I am not entirely on board with the idea of like the foretell parasitic deck where you're getting paid on the foretell lord, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I don't think the pieces are quite strong enough to make up for what's going on. Again, I my default lens for looking at these things in standard will be Gruel for the time being. And I, I think about cards like this standing up to the aggression of Gruel. This just doesn't do a lot for me. And this is one of the cards that was leaning into the malaise I was feeling in the middle of the week where it was another mythic. And I just don't think this has a big role to play in standard. Yeah, I agree with that. <clears throat> the The you having to foretell on a different turn 
is a thing that I saw a lot of people miss because <clears throat> it's, you know, it's not on all the reminder text, right? Right. Or it's not like reminder text is not on all the cards. So that is basically the deal breaker. So initially, I think a lot of people read this as, oh, if you top deck it, you know, then you're paying five mana for the, the first angel and two two mana for each angel past that. And it's like, well, yes, eventually. I think the theory is that, well, if this is just your win condition for the most part, it usually doesn't matter that you have to wait like a turn, right? But it definitely means that in the mid game where it's like, oh, this is like this thing that is, you know, a four mana four, four angel is like kind of whatever by today's standard. You talked about the gruel matchup and it's like, yeah, this gets outsized by all of their three drops, right? So obviously... This the front side is like not good enough on its face. It's supposed to be good because of versatility. And when you draw it on turn seven or something, you're you're it's just not gonna be very good still. Uh so yeah, if you have the luxury to foretell this early and do stuff late, then cool. But for the most part, it's like I I feel like you should just play a Myria's call on your deck because then you get this thing that's a land or a couple angels later on, you know. And that actually scales reasonably well. So I I don't know about this card. It seems just like a little bit too weak. Given the power level of standard, how much mana can you realistically sink into foretelling things? And I think the answer is not much. Uh, You can do it. It's a useful ability. But if you're spending eight mana over the course of the game on foretell costs, I I don't know that you're winning many of those games. It just doesn't track. The discounts aren't that big on the backside. Yeah, I so I agree with that. I don't think you can just sit around and do nothing, especially when the payoff for something like this is turn seven or whatever. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of the cards, it's it's completely reasonable because, you know, maybe they get a little bit cheaper or they get like one mana more expensive, but you have versatility on where you spend your mana or in the case of like Behold the Multiverse, it's just the same. So mm. uh, th- those cards are very appealing to me, but stuff like this, I'm like, eh, I, I really don't think that this is going to matter over the course of the game. And if anything, it's just going to be a liability. Glad we're in agreement. Yeah. Usher of the Fallen. Dub to one creature spirit warrior boast. One dub. Create a 1-1 white human warrior creature token. Again, boast is activate this ability only if this creature attacked this turn and only once each turn. This is a big deal. This is the best one drop we've seen in a very long time, I think. Long time. And I, I don't know how we got such a dramatic shift so quickly, but warrior is a real creature type and there is a warrior Lord and this makes more warriors when you boast off of it. And I think this card alone does enough to create new aggressive archetypes, more of a go wide type look that we just haven't had in a while. It's, it's kind of a go big, put an ember cleave on a thing. That's how you do aggro these days. This is Leaning into a more small ball, Lord traditional approach. There's even uh, the new Honor of the Pure, Rally the Ranks. As Rally of the, it's a uh, one colorless, one dub enchantment. As Rally of the Ranks, Rally the Ranks enters the battlefield. Choose a creature type, creatures that you control with the chosen type get plus one, plus one. So there's multiple ways to pump these small creatures, especially in the Warrior Tribe. I just think two mana or two power one drops are worth so much more these days, and we haven't had a reasonable one in a very long time. Yeah, and this is one of the very rare instances where, you know, you draw it on turn three, turn four, whatever, and it still scales kind of well, you know? You yeah. still get to do something with it, uh, which is pretty nice. I mean, obviously, 
you're going to need a way to pump your creatures or benefit from going wide. And I'm not sure that we have a ton of payoffs, but regardless, like even if this, this is just a card that you play on its own in more of a, a mid-range white deck, I think that you know, that's completely serviceable. There's some decent equipment out there now too. There's like the, the backside of Halvar, God of Battle. Uh, there's Maul, the Skyclaves. So there's, there's ways to suit your stuff up. And make it meaningful, even the small bodies, the two ones, the one ones, again, rally the ranks. So just like an on battlefield way to pump up these bodies. I, I think there's enough good stuff out there that can make even these smaller bodies meaningful as we move into the late game. Yeah, Maul is pretty nice on this. I like that. Yep. Yeah. On to the blue cards. Uh, we have Ascendant Spirit. You for a 1-1 one, one snow creature spirit. This is hella text. So get ready. Snow, snow. This becomes a spirit warrior with base power and toughness 2-3 permanently. Snow, snow, snow. If this is a warrior, put a flying counter on it and becomes a spirit warrior angel with base toughness 4-4. And then 4 snow, S-S-S-S. If this is an angel, put two plus one plus one counters on it and it gains whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So clear figure of Destiny vibes. Obviously, you know, it... It does way different stuff than figure. A uh, little strange to see this in blue, but this card's pretty nice. Love it. I, I hope there's a reason to play this card. I don't know what... I, I am assuming this is like a mono blue card. It's going to be real hard to take full advantage of this card as you stretch the snow mana base out because I think you need all snow lands without question. And I think it's going to be tough for this to be as impactful if you're playing Snowlands that come into play tapped. So my first instinct is to see what the mono blue version of Snow looks like. I'm not even going to speculate on that. You're going to need to see every single possible Snow card before you can say exactly how good that's going to be. Maybe you can stretch to a second color. It scares me a little bit, but maybe you could do something with like Simic Snow and still be comfortable and have enough untapped lands, and there's power there. Whatever it is you're going to do, though, I think the rate on this is totally acceptable. I love the idea of just like dumping all your mana into it across the first four turns and ending up with something good for your investment. Like That is a play pattern that you're going to be willing to go into in a bunch of spots. Just make your 6-6, draw some extra cards, and have a handful of stuff to take advantage of the position you put your opponent in. If they're trying to just sit back and not interact with you, uh, Ascendant Spirit can really punish that. So I don't know what I'm doing with this yet, but in terms of it being worthy of investigating and having enough raw power to make it, even in the present world, I buy it. This is a really good card. Yeah, I do too. I think that this is there on rate. It's just a matter of, you know, like, are, is there a blue deck that wants a one drop? Is, is this actually going to slot into some some new deck, right? Because certainly we don't really have an existing deck where this fits in. And if there is something like that that exists, then it's like, yeah, this is kind of a slam dunk, right? Like there there were decks in the past, like Mono Blue with Curious Obsession, basically wanted all flyers because of Obsession. Yep. So we don't really live in that world, but... Uh, there might be something different, something that might be like a little bit more mid-rangey. And I'd be ha pretty happy if a deck like that existed. Something cool about Spirit 2, which is not really a game that Figure of Destiny could play, is that this is in blue. So you play this on turn one, and then you just hold up mana for the rest of the game and activate this on end steps. 
Right. And you've closed your opponent out of getting into the game if they're relying on sorcery speed stuff. You know, you have your whatever, lofty denial, essence scatter, whichever mode of counterspell you would like to use, you have it at the ready. And if you don't have to use it, dump some mana into Ascendant Spirit and make your threat bigger. And I, I think that's going to be a successful play pattern if there's other stuff of that ilk to do. Right now, I don't think there is. I think it's a little short. But you could see pretty easily, like, you've got Brazen Borrower out there. You've got this card. There's other potential adventures you could play. Like, Hypnotic Sprite is a card I really like, which has never seen any play. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like, there's some potential for that card to be meaningful. And obviously, still a whole set worth of goodies to look at. So... Uh, I have high hopes for this card. I hope it's able to make a dent in the current format. Well, uh, Cosmos Charger, 3U, 3-3, Creature Horse Spirit, Flash Flying. For telling cards from your hand, costs one less and can be done on any player's turn and has Foretell to you. So here's our Foretell Lord that I foretold earlier in the podcast. That one was on purpose. I'm going to own up to that one. I actually thought about that one as I was doing it. I quit. Thank you. I just don't know. I don't I don't have a strong opinion on this card yet. I, I said that there was going to take some kind of Lord, some kind of cost reduction thing to make a lot of these bigger foretell spells hit. Again, I like the play pattern of just like, I now have all this mana that I can use at all these times and punish you for your inaction. And I have a bunch of counter spells. And maybe you can just go like Cosmos Charger, the foretell counter spell, foretell card draw, and maybe even Alaron's Epiphany for the foretell time walk because now your time walk only costs five and you can play it at instant speed that sounds really good to me i mean maybe that's the mono blue deck with ascendant spirit all that stuff checks out so i like it i am not a hundred percent convinced that it's just like rate playable like three three flyer for four is a lot flash helps but i don't think it gets you all the way there and it's a little slow for your payoff to come online and i think these foretell decks are going to be very reliant on the flexibility of doing things at instant speed. So without this card, they could be a little mopey. That's my concern. This card is super good with rewind. And rewind's a nice usage, yeah. And I think that, you know, maybe this sort of deck could exist with without rewind, but the fact that rewind exists and, you know, like Cosmo Charger, you're right. It, it is like a little bit mopey. Like 3-3 is not a great stat line. Nightpack Ambusher being a 4-4 meant that it did invalidate a lot of the smaller stuff, but like 3-3 doesn't really do that in this day and age. Right. So I I wouldn't necessarily be playing this uh, expecting to like ambush and kill their creature or whatever. Uh, So then, you know, maybe you're just stuck like interacting with your opponent on turn four instead of being able to like play this and kind of get ahead. But I think Rewind is going to change a lot of that. And... I, I like sketched out a bunch of these decks and it's basically what you were talking about. The whole, the multiverse, the, the, the cancel that has foretell there's essence scatter negate, which are obviously very good, very efficient cards, brazen borrower. And then ascendant spirit might fit. I don't know. It feels like with all the foretelling stuff, you, you already scale pretty well into the late game and have a lot of ways to use your mana. But you know, certainly if you're just like, well, I want, uh, a lower mana curve and like something to do a little bit earlier than Ascendant Spirit could could help that a lot. So I, I like this deck and I was yeah building them with two Alrun's Epiphany at the top end. And I think that that's pretty solid with a lot of what we have going on. Yeah, it seems like one of your biggest payoffs. Uh, we've seen what an instant speed time walk can do and that was at seven mana. And if you're able to bring this one down to five mana, that's a pretty big deal. 
On to the black guards, Dusk Wielder, B, 1-2, Creature, Elf Berserker, Boast, 1, Target Opponent Loses 1 Life, and You Gain 1 Life. Yeah, kind of a, a different take on the 2-power 1-drop. This is weaker, but the creature types are really good. And there's a couple of cards we've seen come out in the last few days where I normally wouldn't be too high on them, but the creature types are really good. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is Elder Fang Disciple, uh, which is like Elf Cleric, one Carlos, one Black. When Elder Fang Disciple enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. In a lot of instances, that's like crappy Burglar Rat, although Bur- Burglar Rat has seen its play, but usually you want a little bit more. But with Elf Cleric tied onto that, you can start seeing some ways to really take advantage of it. And I think the same thing with Elf Berserker. There are a few Berserker payoffs in this set. Uh, the Rakdos tribe seems to be the Berserker tribe, and there's a Saga which pays you on Berserkers. So on its face, I'm not over the moon about this card. Having some unblockable damage is a big deal, and you can do that with Boast. But, uh, you know, one mana, one, two is never going to set the world on fire. Those creature types help a lot, though. It's It's funny to me that we had Vicious Conquistador, and when it came out, people were like, oh, like, yeah, it's basically like a two-power one-drop, but we're not excited about it. And this is mostly just a worse version of that, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, pretty excited about it because we just haven't had, like, good one-drops in a the while. one-drops so. have been so bad. I mean, with the exception of Cauldron Familiar, which was fantastic for its own reasons that had really yeah. nothing to do with being a one-drop. Yeah, that that wasn't like, oh, I'm excited to like attack with this thing, you know. Right. It was you're, it was part of an engine. Right. But yeah, I, I the more that I've been like building decks and thinking about it and stuff, I'm just like, okay, I'm glad that this exists because you know, the other one drops are like Whisper Squad, Serrated Scorpion, like you you yeah. have options, but I think that this is a little bit stronger, which stinks because it's it's still pretty bad. But you have more tools now. One mana Berserker could be worth a lot with some of the other cards in the set. So we'll see how this tribe fills out. That's true too. Burning Rune Demon. 4BB, 6-6, Creature Demon Berserker, Flying. When this enters the battlefield, you may search your library for exactly two cards not named Burning Rune Demon that have different names. If you do, reveal those cards. An opponent chooses one of them. Put the chosen card into your hand and the other into your graveyard, then shuffle your library. What do you do with this card? Meh, I, I pass. Nothing? Nothing? Okay. I'm, I'm down so. with that. I mean, this was this is like part of the, again, this was in the malaise stage when I'm seeing cards like this and I'm just like, I could pay six mana for this or I could do so many other things and I'm having a hard time coming up with where I'm happy paying six mana for this. Like, there is a lot of value in a repeatable tutor effect. This won't be the last time I say the words Urian on this podcast, but like nope. blinking with Urian is cool. And maybe you can snowball that pretty hard. Um, but, but it's I think six you can, mana. You yeah, you can to snowball, snowball a lot of things pretty hard with Urian and you, they don't cost six mana. And this kind of needs to do it on its own. I think it's the point you're making. And even though you're getting to look at two cards, giving your opponent the choice is always a little bit problematic you don't get immediate payoff on it. You just get your 6-6 six, six flyer, which, you know, years ago would have been a big deal, but it doesn't feel like as big of a deal these days. And you th- just think about what we've gotten for six mana in the past. I don't think Burning Rune Demon keeps pace with that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the best 
case scenario for this. And it's like, get a Croxa or in historic or whatever you like get an Uro. So you're, you're guaranteed to find a recursive threat with this, but it's like unburial rights and something else. Yeah. You know, but I, I don't know. Still six mana. I, I, I like that play pattern. The idea of unburial rights is one of the first things that came up to me, but yeah, at, at six mana. So you better have something that good at six mana. Right. I, it's like, you can think of all these convoluted scenarios and it's like, oh, we did it. We we got an burial rights or whatever. And it's like, well, you paid you paid six mana. You could have just been doing a lot of other stuff that also probably could have accomplished your thing. So, you know, why is this in your deck instead? So yep. Yep. I, I think the the scenarios that you can think of and probably come up with are maybe pretty sweet, but then it's still just like, oh, it's like actually still bad. Yeah, it's possible that this is like the very top end in a control deck as a like a one of. That wouldn't shock me. I, that's fine, but it's it's not setting the world on fire. Yep. Aegon, God of Death. I wrote about this one this week. Uh, 2B, 6 6, legendary creature god, death touch. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile two cards from your graveyard. If you can't, sacrifice this and draw a card. And the backside is Throne of Death, which is B for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. 2B tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard, draw a card. So you are now the expert on this card, having written about it. What percentage of the time do you just slam this on turn one when it's in your hand? Uh, I, I think it depends on your deck a little bit. But if we're talking about you know trying to keep the front side alive, you likely have a bunch of graveyard payoff type stuff or like graveyard enabler type stuff, right? So it's like, the, the decks that I was building mostly wanted to cast this on turn one. And mm. there were a lot of instances where, you know, say with Emery, for example, and these these decks are probably weaker than just slotting this in Arakdos or whatever, but like right. Emery with Throne of Death, like this is an artifact, so it counts for Emery. If you're playing Emery, you're also probably trying to fill your graveyard and do other stuff. So the decks that I liked this card the most were the ones that were very happy playing this on turn one. And... In the context of the old Rakdos mid-range deck, I mean, you're playing Mire Triton, Timurit Calls the Dead. You're still a little short on graveyard enablers a lot of the time because like Crocs is expensive, Oxvaganus is expensive. You have multiple things that are eating at your graveyard. You kind of just want more, and that's why Magmatic Channeler was in the deck initially. Yep. And uh, just being able to empty your hand quick enough for things like Ox of Agonis is really nice. And this enables like Croxa a lot earlier and the deck didn't have a lot of one drops, et cetera, et cetera. Like I think this card is awesome. I also think this card is pretty good. I think the creature side is actually the less exciting portion of this card. Like having another engine is going to be very important for those decks. You, you had the payoffs already. And I'm not saying the payoff side won't ever get played. It, it's totally acceptable as a payoff. And I also like the idea of just like being okay with this, not sticking around for all that long and then benefiting from death triggers, possibly like sacrificing Egon can be worth something for you. Like maybe you're even going back to historic and you've got your mayhem devils. And I, I don't know that that's where you want to focus all your efforts, but your creatures dying is not always a bad thing. And in this case, you get a replacement card every time. So I, I think you're super incentivized to be okay with this, just not having enough fodder and still running it out there in some scenarios. Yeah, uh, it's, it is weird that this is, 
you know, a, a tax, right? And normally when you can't pay the tax, your thing just dies. And this is like, well, we kind of realize that this is a hefty tax. So we'll we'll pay you back a little bit, uh, which is, it, it's cool. It just makes the card, you know, all upside, right? And uh, there are also some things like Death Touch. Okay, that's really good with Embercleave. And this is pretty big, right? So how do we build around that? Mm-hmm. And like three mana six six enables the great hinge obviously that curve is a little rough like maybe if you have uh throne of death on turn one Meyer triton on two this on three you're still going to be able to keep it around on turn four uh but most times i think it'll be like triton this keep it around great hinge and then maybe egon dies the next turn but it kind of already did his job you know oh yeah yeah for sure Especially, again, re- replacement value. You just get a new card for it, and you're not going to be card light at that point, and you can start a snowball pretty hard. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm pretty high on this card. I like it a lot, and I think you, you asked 100% the right question where you're just like, well, how much do you like Throne of Death? And I think you need to like Throne of Death to like this card. And the, the fact that Throne also just becomes an engine at some point yep. is like... what. There's there's so much upside to this card and a bunch of different cool ways to build around it. So I was all about it. Yeah, I don't think this is like a facially good card. Like it's possible people try to put this in too many things, but in the decks where it's good, it's going to be very good. And you have to build around it. You have to have a deck that's focused on it, but there already is a great deck that is focused on doing exactly this thing. And there may be other additional decks you can look at because this card exists. So. Yeah, I think I have six deck lists in my article, but the big takeaway was Rakdos with... The Pathway, Aegon, and, uh, you know, so, to some extent, Valky. I think Valky helps a little bit. I was like, I'm I'm excited to play Rakdos again, and I think that it, it actually competes. Yeah, so. nice pickups to that deck, for sure. Eradicator Valkyrie, 2BB, 4-3, Creature, Angel Berserker, Flying Lifelink, Hexproof from Planeswalkers, Boast, 1B, Sack a Creature, each opponent sacks a Creature or Planeswalker, I'm reading this fast. It's a mythic. I don't really want to talk about it. I, this is just one of the more disappointing mythics in a long line of disappointing mythics in this set. The thing I will say about this is that it seems super powerful in multiplayer formats. And I, I wonder if that's like a purposeful decision to push more of the power. That's what it seems like. Mythics that's what it seems the like. Multiplayer scene. And I'm, I'm fine with that. If there's enough other stuff in the set. Uh, good. I, I think that's a good use of the mythic slot because you only need one of these to play commander. And I would much rather have like the one of stuff be at mythic rather than the four ofs that empower everything be at mythic. So I, I'm dogging on the mythics a little bit, but if that's the strategy, I'm on board. I, I like what you're trying to do there. I am too. And I like all the stuff that we talked about for like Burning Rune Demon, it's like I, I could almost assuredly hear listeners out there being like, well, this is not a standard card guy. This is supposed to be like a commander type thing. You know, you're, you're reading too much into it. You're trying to, you know, think of how, how you can abuse this or whatever. And it's not meant for that. And I think eradicator Valkyrie is it's, it's similar. It's along the same lines, but it's weird because we're not used to that yet. And no one has outright said like, Hey, yeah, this is a card that we made for a commander. Obviously like don't try and put this in your standard decks because it's, it's close. Like, you know, four mana, four, three, it's got a bunch of abilities. It is a mythic yep. rare. We're just uh, kind of like, you know, brainwashed into thinking that that's where our constructed power level cards are supposed to be. And you look at this and it's like, why is this, why is this so bad? And it's like, well, it's not meant for us. Yep. I think that's the case here. Uh, at the same time, like uh, saying that I want to try and like Skyclave shade sacrifice engine type stuff, but I, I, 
I know that's just not going to keep pace. So hopefully I'll talk myself out of it before I actually do it. And I'm I'm on board with the idea that this is a multiplayer card. Skim for Avenger. 1B, 3-1, creature elf berserker. Whenever a non-token elf or berserker you control dies, you draw a card and lose a life. This is a constructed card. Yeah, there's that berserker payoff I talked about. Uh, one of the berserker payoffs I talked about. There are several, but 3-1 for two mana is good enough it's not great it's fallen behind the curve in recent times you expect more from your two drops but it's good enough especially with this clause tacked on we've seen how powerful this can be if your deck is focused around elves and berserkers getting a two mana midnight reaper is absurdly powerful and this will be very very good yeah i and and most of what we've seen for elves and berserkers are they're they're just kind of attacking tribes you know so you're, you're probably not going to get up to a bunch of sacrifice shenanigans, but it's possible, you know, if you end up having like a light elf splash in your your witch's oven deck or whatever, you can get paid on this a little bit. Um, but I would not necessarily be looking to it as an engine, more just like a value card. I think so. I think that's correct. Blood on the snow, 4BB, snow sorcery, choose one, destroy all creatures or destroy all planeswalkers. Then... Return a creature or planeswalker card with converted mana cost X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is the amount of snow mana spent to cast the spell. All right. I, I wouldn't usually be into the type of thing I'm about to talk about, but I think there's some good points in its favor. I first saw Noxious tweeting about this. M21 blue card that return. It's a blue creature, 3-3. I'm forgetting the name of it, but it returns an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand the way this card is written you just always get it back like whether you have that creature in play or not it will oh yeah it it loops forever once you have both of those cards unless one of them is removed from the graveyard you will always be able to cast a wrath on every subsequent turn of the game that's going to be really good against some decks let me find the name of this card give me your thoughts on that while i look for the name of the m21 card i'm thinking about yeah, that's that's awkward. I certainly didn't think about that. Uh, one thing I will note is that there's a decent amount of graveyard hate. There's a lot of you know f- flash creatures and haste creatures and ember cleaves and great henges and stuff like that. Where wrath with buyback is not going to KO everyone, but there. I mean, if you're leaning hard on blood in the snow, there's very little reason to not just play like one or two copies of that card too. Uh, just for the possibility that you get there. But uh, I'm I'm more of like looking at this like if you kill all your opponent's planeswalkers, you know, I, ideally you're not playing a ton yourself. That's pretty good. If you're a black, probably like black-green mid-range deck and you get to benefit from the second part of it, that's pretty nice. Like this seems like a very good mid-range card to me and not a great hard control card. And I wouldn't expect this card to show up in very large numbers, but as like a two of as uh, a mid game kind of like uh, game breaker. Uh, I like this card a decent amount. Yeah, I, I like your read on it in a, a fair sense. The M21 card is Shipwreck Dowser. It's three colorless blue, blue, uh, Merfolk Wizard Prowess. When Shipwreck Dowser enters the battlefield, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. The way Blood on the Snow is worded is choose one, destroy all creatures, destroy all planeswalkers, then return a creature or planeswalker with converted mana X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So you, yeah, you just so, pop it back right away. So it's it's working by design, the fact that it doesn't target 
the creature when you cast it, you know, because yeah. also that would end up where like if your opponent has scavenging use, they just counter your wrath or whatever. So it, it is meant to be able to like, you kill your own planeswalker, but then you get it back. So you're able to like sweep the board minus your one thing. And I think that aspect is by design and maybe overlooks the interaction with a Scrivener. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, like you said, there's plenty of ways to play around it. I don't think it's like, oh, the format's broken because this exists. But it is interesting. And if it is a format that is vulnerable to that type of interaction, you know, if it's all about, I don't know, mo- mono green aggro tends to go a little bit less on the haste side of things, although that may change with things like Vorniclex. We'll, we'll see where they fall on the haste spectrum. But if it's just white aggro, here are my creatures, what are you going to do about it? This will lock some of them out of the game, quite frankly. So interesting to keep track of. Yeah, I mean, once you get to that point, but then it's like, well, there there's even things like Redain, right? Where they could play that and just shut you down. But Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is it is interesting. It's also like very, very slow, right? I mean, you would have mm-hmm. to like, you would probably have to cast the Scrivener unless you have some way to self-mill or discard to like Thirst for Meaning or something like that. But those things are are pretty reasonable. Like you could incorporate that into your deck. Yeah, I think so. You know, some early draw spell that you just burned and get it back with Scrivener. It, all of this is very contextual, depends on the pace of the format. I just thought that was a really interesting interaction. Yeah, it is. Definitely worth knowing about. Uh, your your take on the card outside of that interaction? No, I, th- I think you were spot on. Uh, okay. Just uh, very limited play, but can certainly be a quasi mirror breaker almost. And it does seem like snow is being pushed. Like I said, I think I think there's two flavors of snow. There's monocolored and then there's Sultai. So this can certainly be a part of the more controlling Sultai builds. Yeah. On the red cards, we have Quake Bringer, 3RR, 5-4, Creature Giant Berserker. Your opponents can't gain life at the beginning of your upkeep. This deals two damage to each opponent. This ability triggers only if Quakebringer is on the battlefield or if Quakebringer is in your graveyard and you control a giant, foretell to RR. I think this card is facially good, but still relies too much on giants for me to be 100% on board, where Bone Crusher Giant is the only other giant I'm into at the moment. But that kind of recurring damage from the graveyard that you can't really do much about, uh, that's powerful. And it being on the battlefield and doing the same thing is is also powerful. You're just continually pressuring your opponent's life total. So I I buy this card as good enough if we just get one or two more support pieces, basically. The giants that we've seen that look strong enough to see constructed play are basically what I thought, where they're like a little bit more on the expensive side. So you're actually getting paid a decent amount on like the two mana saga and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's interesting. And then, yeah, between like Bone Crusher and Quake Bringer, there's probably just a lot of incidental damage, like incidental chip damage that you can do. And it, it seems like you're a mid-range deck kind of in the truest sense where you know, you're just staving off your opponent's aggression, maybe getting yep. some card advantage, and then you're turning the corner very, very quickly. And I, th- I think that that's a play style a lot of people like. You know, it's like Mardu Dragons-esque. Yeah, I could also see this being like the mono red snow deck. I think you could do that as giants possibly and get paid for it where you're just using frostbite as early control and then you go bone crusher giant into calamity bearer into this card and that's going to be good enough against a bunch of people. So starting to see some pieces. I'm not over the moon about it. I don't think like this is what makes the tribe, but certainly you're only one or two giants away at this point. 
the best giant by a mile is still bone crusher giant like that oh, absolutely is, that's absolutely. kind of the that's kind of the reason to play the archetype you know and it's like we need another card along those lines maybe not as good as bone crusher but something that actually gets you excited to do it whereas quake bringer is like okay yeah this is like a solid role player we almost certainly need this in the archetype but like give me a reason right yeah, I, and I don't think Calamity Bearer crosses that line either. Like, certainly some games it will uh, get out of hand really quickly. I'll just read that because I don't know if people are familiar with it. Two colorless red red uh, giant berserker. If a giant source you control would deal damage to a permanent or a player, it deals double that damage to that permanent or player instead. So, like, Bone Crusher Giant as a 4-3 into this, you're, you're popping off with some serious damage very quickly. It doesn't work with the stomp side, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah. There is good stuff there, but not quite constructed level stuff in my eyes yet. Getting close. Yeah. Goldspan Dragon, 3RR44, Creature Dragon, Flying Haste. Whenever this attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure. Treasures you control have tap, sacrifice this artifact, add two mana of any one color. So assuming that you get to play this on five... Uh, your opponent's tapped out or they don't have anything, you get to hit them with it, you get a little bit of a rebate either on that turn or the next turn. Uh, so that's that's pretty interesting. Normally we see like our five mana dragons have, you know, some sort of effect on, on the battlefield, right? And this is a thing that just like pays you in mana. And I'm kind of just more interested in that, honestly. My take on this card might surprise you. I think it could be like potentially broken. Doubling up treasure mana could be a really big deal there's magda which is a fine way to create some treasures in the early game if there's other good ways to put treasures on the battlefield i could see just having explosive turns immediately upon playing goldspan dragon where you put it down and you already have two or three treasures in play and you followed it up with another five or six drop that sounds good this doesn't quite do what i want it to do but i will point out that if you were to have enough things that targeted your gold span dragon in your deck that cantripped, you <laughs> can maybe just draw your whole deck in the right scenario. Oh, new swans deck. All right. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know exactly what that looks like. And the only space you're going to have enough to do that with is probably like modern card pools. And this is not going to be good enough for that format. But if there's enough going on, like, I don't know, like scred type stuff doesn't quite work here because you don't get the same kind of immediate payout that you got from swans. But you you see what I'm getting at where you can turn small removal spells into card draw and you have some kind of cantripping pump effects that just allow you to go through your deck real quick and you're getting mana the whole time. Yeah, I don't just know. All, the, all the wisps, right? Yeah, yeah, cerulean wisp, that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of dumb. It, it won't work in modern, and I don't think the cantrips are good enough in standard. But in terms of like what this card can do facially, it has breakable potential. And that's what I look for when I look for new sets, cards that can just go completely off the chain. This has the potential to do so. Yeah, my, my brain just kind of defaulted to uh, like spell opponent controls, right? And I wasn't even thinking in the context of like, yeah, you giant girth this thing and like... Yep. Yeah, I had to read it a few times. I had to read it a few times to make sure it worked that way. Because I I think your expectation that it would only work off your opponent's stuff makes a lot of sense. But uh, pushing it in the other direction is when I start to be like, okay, maybe there's something here. Yeah, I do do like the aspect that if you just have a bunch of treasures already, then this can do potentially busted stuff. The problem is, is that I haven't seen a lot of things that actually make treasures in this set yet. 
Right. Yeah. Magda's the best one we've seen. Magda Bray's an outlaw. We talked a little bit about that, I believe, last week, which is a card I'm pretty high on. Uh, I, I like this card a lot, but it needs dwarves to really kick into overdrive. We don't have a lot of dwarves yet either, so... I don't know if there's going to be enough treasure to fuel this efficiently. I think that's part of the reason why I started looking for ways to have this be my treasure maker and seeing what we could do with that kind of setup. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm definitely into this card just on its own, you know, like independent of trying to do anything busted with it. But when you start talking about stuff like that, like if you get to play a bigger red deck with, you know, maybe Magda or a card that makes treasures that isn't very, very below rate, like the ones that we've seen so far then mm-hmm. it's just, it starts getting really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Still, I'll, I'll be keeping a close eye for treasure producers throughout the rest of this set. It really only takes one decent one to push us into the very playable territory. There's like Seize the Spoils, which I don't think is anywhere near good enough. Uh, it only makes one treasure. So something a little better than that has to has to be the option. Yeah, Seize the Spoils was the one where I'm just like, I want to, I want to like this card. I want this card to be good, but it's just not there. No, I don't think so. On the green, we have Jorn, God of Winter. This is uh, another card I wrote about. 2G, 3-3, Legendary Snow Creature God. Whenever this attacks, untap each snow permanent you control. And it's a DFC. The other side is Cauldring, the Rhyme Staff. 1UB, Legendary Snow Artifact. Tap, you may play target snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield tapped. Brian... You are the resident expert about cards that double your mana. So how do you feel about this? It's free. It's me, baby. And there's there's some free mana going on here. Uh, you got to work a little bit harder for it, not just attached to like an enchantment like it usually is. But I, I loved your mono green list from your article. I thought it was really smart. The idea of using, I'm blanking on the card name, Ram, Ram Through, uh, instant speed removal in your deck that really wants to attack and letting that unlock your mana a bunch. I I thought that was a really cool approach to how to build around Jorn. I think the default is you go to a control-ish type deck where you're getting a lot of value out of the backside of Jorn and finding some way to replay things from your graveyard uh, on the reg. But your mono green list excited me way more than anything else I've done with Jorn just thus far. I think trying to get too much from it is going to be a recipe for disaster. But if you just use it to double up your mana, that's that's going to be good enough in a lot of spots. Yeah, and I, that was kind of the the premise of the article was it's just like th- this is a, a thing that I'm slotting into a lot of decks to to get the extra untap step. And the back part was not getting a lot of love because we had not seen a whole lot of relevant snow permanence. Uh, Ascendant Spirit is another awesome mana sink for a card like this and certainly benefits from like the staff being able to return it in the late game. So it's like, okay, cool. Like that's, that's an interaction that I could also, you know, build a deck or two around, but yeah, this, this card was nice and it made me go down a weird rabbit hole where, you know, on on turn four, assuming you have four snow lands, you're going to have access to like eight mana at instant speed. So what can you do with this? And I, I think, I, I also liked Ram Through, and that was like the first thing I thought of. I think Inscription of Abundance might just be better because of okay, like, yeah, the, the huge upside. And I mentioned that in the article, but it wasn't like in any of my deck lists or anything. Uh, but then thinking about it more, it's like, yeah, this is like actually a pretty nice turn four, you know? So, no, I, I think it, I think there's a lot of nice turn fours uh, with Jorn. You, they'll just find them routinely if it survives. And you know, maybe we've gotten spoiled where we just want our double up on mana for free. We don't want to have to untap and attack with it. But uh, even if you're jumping through that hoop, 
this is what has broken every standard format we've played over the last you know however many months it's when you double up on your mana we did it with wilderness reclamation we did it with fires i have no reason to believe we wouldn't do it with jordan too yeah and again three mana three toughness sort of dodges some of the the early game removals so untapping with this thing isn't that wild of a a thing to consider being plausible right and it's also nice that this is just an attack trigger not has to like connect to your opponent or anything yep and the the other thing that was interesting to me that this kind of has kicker where like if you if you have a jordan that died or that you self-milled or whatever you get to play the back half and then immediately play it to return a jordan if you have six mana yeah, that's really cool. A really cool interaction. I, I wonder how much there's going to be space for things that do like basically your mono green approach, but can still get away with the minimal amount of like the green blue snowland and the green black snowland just to fuel the backside of this in like rare occasions. Do you see any hope of that? Or is it just are you too inclined to just be mono green and leaning on your curve outs and your efficiency at that point? I think it depends on what other snow permanents you have because yeah. when I wrote the article, it was like, what, what am I doing just to like return Jorns in the late game? Because I, I really didn't have any other snow permanents in the deck, you know? Uh, Ascendant uh, Spirit is a big get for sure. It is. It is for sure. So yeah, now now if you're talking about like building a blue-green deck and you're almost certainly going to be playing four Fable Passages, it's like, well, one, one snow-covered swamp, one swamp doesn't cost you a whole lot. Yeah. No, I, I like that idea. I, this, this is why I think I got so bent out of shape by Redain is like, these ideas seem really cool. And if you just have that card in the format, you can't do any of them. They're not going to work. You're going to get run over by that card. So I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's not as impactful as I think it is. Well, that's just a new stipulation for the snow decks, right? Is that you need to be able to kill Redain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that's fine. I, I would rather that be the case than like some broader constraint. And obviously, like you still get to play your first three turns unopposed, hopefully, before Redain's doing anything. So maybe I'm overstating just how how much that's going to stunt your development. Do Especially you, if you have Jorn, it's like eh, just attack, and you'll you'll untap that land anyway. Jorn's a three three. Redain's only a two three. You get your ram yeah. throughs, your inscriptions. No, very uh, true. Kills it pretty easily. So. Obviously, you'd, you'd rather be like the, the proactive person with the Redeen than the person who's like, well, I'm hoping to kill this thing every single game. Otherwise, it's really going to slow me down. But I think it's doable. Yeah. Asika, God of the Tree, 1GG, 1-4, Legendary Creature God, Vigilance, tap, add one mana of any color. Other Legendary Creatures you control have Vigilance and tap, add one mana of any color. Uh, DFC, the backside is the Prismatic Bridge. It is one of each color, Wooberg. Legendary Enchantment, at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature or planeswalker card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. As a mana fixer and uh, like an enabler for all sorts of weird stuff, I like this. The problem I have with the backside is that it's like a little slow, but I think it's not something that you build around like, oh, I'm definitely going to cast this. But if it does come up, it just means that, you know, you you drew an Asika that you didn't really want or need. And now you have something that's potentially powerful, even if it's not like your main payoff. Right. So I, I can see this. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment. The fact that you'll have 
more Asikas in your deck makes it hard to ever completely build around it. Like, obviously, you want to like cheat things into play that are super powerful, like an Emrakul or something. But if you have the front side of this card in your deck, you're probably playing multiples of it. And it's it's not really going to work. It's going to be too high risk. So I think it's supposed to be safer than that. I think you're supposed to be interested in Asika. But I really want to talk about this card because when we were talking about Tybalt last week, I uh, it's not that I forgot to talk about this. I just didn't know. I didn't know the way Cascade worked with these cards. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah, so basically if you Cascade into one of these flip cards, you get to play either side, which with Asika, it's whatever. Like I play my Bloodbraid Elf, hit it, get the enchantment. Maybe that's good enough for modern. I'm, I'm not like 100% sure it is. But where I start actually believing it could be something viable to do is, is with Valky, God of Lies, into Tybalt, Hitting that and getting a seven mana planeswalker, even in a format as powerful as modern, seems like a very big deal. And you could also look to go other directions too, where like you're trying to cascade into ancestral visions. Like that feels like an idea that's kind of passed us by and isn't powerful enough for modern at this point. It, it maybe- physically pains me to hear you say that because I know it's true and I love yeah. it. I love it so much, you know, but you're right. And I, I'm sad. I'm definitely closer to the Valky side of things. I guess there's also uh What's what's the Rhino card called that I I literally own like sixty of them in foil because I'm so sure is good. Crashing Footfalls, that's out there. So like your deck is Crashing Footfalls and Bloodbraid Elf and Valkies, and then your hits start becoming really good in your Jun deck, and you still have all the Thoughtseize, uh, now Cleansing Wildfire and Lightning Bolt, and these cards are all good in the format. Like they all line up really well. And I'm interested. It's it's enough to get me to try an archetype that I have not wanted to try in a very long time. Yeah, it, it certainly helps that Valky is just good enough in modern yep. as is because of all the Uros and exactly a lot of you know like Primeval Titans. The, the combo decks, a lot of them are just creature based, so it's a fine disruptive tool. It's a, a fine threat, and then you have the the backdoor Bloodbraid Elf thing, which is you know kind of absurd. I think so. I mean, there's not going to be many decks that can stand up to a very early Tybalt, even the most powerful decks, unless they're like stack combo. Tybalt is going to do a number on them, I think. So I am interested in exploring that. And it's rare that a current set has me excited to try out a modern deck. Like a lot of times I'm begrudgingly doing it. Like playing Uro in modern is something I begrudgingly do. I'm not excited to do it. But this kind of rejuvenation to an already established archetype that's really fallen out of favor is the type of thing that gets me excited again. Word. So where where does that leave Asika for standard? Outside chance, I think if the one for a body is particularly good, this gets a lot of push in the right direction. Uh, if, if you're blocking a lot with it, certainly improves my opinion of it. The backside, like you said, a little slow probably a little bit more vulnerable than I would like. And I think it's going to get blown up in a lot of spot. And I, I don't think you can really like max out on legendary creatures. Like there is the other legendary Lord Colvori, God of kinship, which incentivizes you to play a bunch of different legendaries. I don't know that I really buy that as something viable. So pretty low hopes for this card in standard, but maybe a little fringe play. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Isika's chariot three G Legendary artifact vehicle 4-4. When this enters the battlefield, create two 2-2 two, two green cat creature tokens. Whenever this attacks, create a token that's a copy of target token you control, crew 4. This seems seems good. This seems like a good vehicle. 
the inherent value is just enough that I buy it. It snowballs a game very quickly. But of course, the icing on the cake is how well it gets blinked by Urian, which is always how you tell how good a card is in standard. So just go ahead and blink this. Enjoy your free cats. I didn't even think about that, but like it's all I think about. It's so I do, but normally, you know, this is like, oh, like aggro y mid range beatdown card, whatever. And I'm, my brain doesn't go to Urian, but it Must probably be should. Nice. It probably it probably should. For for everything else, it goes to Urian. But this is this is one card for whatever reason where I didn't even think about that. Uh I like this card a decent amount. I'm not sure that you know, like tokeny type stuff is is good enough, but I also don't have uh an extensive like Selesnia knowledge base as far as like all the cards that exist in standard. Like I'm sure if I if I go through, like I'll be like, yes, obviously this is standard legal or whatever. But off the top of my head, I'm just like, you know, what would this deck look like? I have no idea. I'd have to do a bunch of research to figure it out. So maybe it exists. I'm a little skeptical, of course, but this this does a lot of things. It has pretty good stats, so I wouldn't be surprised. I will note that there's uh, like Mythos of Aluna out there, which creates token copies of any permanents including lands so you can just like i don't know you can you can do literally anything with with those copies uh short of copying legendary stuff okay yeah that's weird interesting uh i don't know exactly what that deck looks like but again like at the first place i go is just yuri and mythos of aluna this card and making you know elvish visionary copies and blinking the elvish visionary and making these stupid snowballs because that's all i can do anymore so yeah i mean it, it could be more about that rather than like selesnia token beat down maybe you're just like bant mid-range blink or whatever yeah there's a lot of ways to do that trick though so who knows if this is really the way you want to go you could just do thassa stuff instead yeah in search of greatness gg enchantments at the beginning of your upkeep you may cast a permanent spell with converted mana cost equal to one plus the highest converted mana cost among other permanents you control from your hand without paying its mana cost if you don't scry one. The word other is kind of like snuck in there, so this doesn't work off of itself. So what are we doing with this? How do we bu- how do we break this? Jerry, what do you think we're doing with this? If it's free, it's you. Um, Urian. Thank I, you. I, that's it. Stop right there. Stop. That's, that's, that's all you have to say. Okay. I, I'm going to write about this card come next week usually when i write about a card i do a broad sampling of all the stuff i want to do with it i think this card is extremely narrow i think it asks you for very specific things if you can provide those things this might just be fires of invention part two like i know that's pretty hyperbolic for a card that's banned in standard but you start thinking about the type of mana return you can get from this card in optimal scenarios and you're starting with a one drop so you know it's unlikely you're getting paid for the first turn this is in play unless you did like gilded goose into this and then like how about a trail of crumbs and now you have somewhere else you want to spend your mana on the next turn because you want to sacrifice your food and get a payoff there or make your gilded goose stuff so you use the trigger to put a Llanowar Visionary into play. And now you've picked up another card and also you crack that food. So you picked up another card from that and we're continuing to climb up the chain and we found another Visionary and we, we put that into the battlefield. And then 
now we're set up for our Urian turn and now Urian's in play. So our six drops are online too. And I, I just think in optimal scenarios where you're able to be extremely resource rich, this card can make preposterous amounts of mana and it can do it in multiples too. So in a way that Fires of Invention couldn't, this card can scale and just allow you to vomit stuff onto the battlefield so, so quickly. You have to build a deck that is focused around permanence. You have to build with your curve in mind, and you have to work really hard to get paid on this. But when you do, I think the payoff is tremendous, and I, I already have the deck sketched out in my head, and it works. It, it, it's there. There's something worth exploring. Obviously, everything's about metagames. Nothing is guaranteed, but I am confident that my sketch is powerful to start with and that's that's a great place to be when you're in week one of the format so say say you get up to like oh i cast my five mana card that's great then this only casts six mana cards so then do you have ways to remove your five mana permanent so that you can just like keep casting fives do you know what i mean yeah so you can work back down the curve again right i i guess like does it matter yeah well, it, so it it might matter if maybe you didn't get to take a lot of advantage of this early because you just didn't draw a four drop or whatever. But I think, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter if you like start, if you cast like a five mana thing and then a six mana thing, you're probably just set up and like, who cares? But it might be relevant to have a way to actually like remove your six mana card so that you can just keep casting uh, fives or whatever. It is, it is possible that you will want to go back down the curve. I don't know that I don't know that you're going to have to. I also think like scrying one is better than most people think it is. You know, it's not what you're going to play this card for. But again, yeah. when you're stacking in multiples and like, okay, now you're in a spot where like you need to find something better, right? So you are just pushing more and more to the bottom to get paid on it. And it, it just seems as long as you're starting a snowball, you don't care that it eventually shuts itself off. Yeah, no, I could believe that. I do. I do like the fact that this is a thing that is like helping you cast bigger stuff that will hopefully help you stabilize. And then in the meantime, you can spend your mana like doing trailer crumb stuff or whatever. So you're not getting punished by just, you know, fiddling around with your mana and not accomplishing a whole lot. Like this, this yeah. actually takes care of the rest. Yeah. It's one of the reasons too, where, where I will actually, after playing a bunch of 60 card Uri index, I will go to 80 cards because like paying the companion cost is totally fine when you're yeah, exactly. getting mana in other places. And I, again, like multiples of this will pay each other on the other side. So it can't look at itself, but it could look at another copy of this. So you could have two potential three drops on that turn and, I just see so many potential snowballs going out of control based on this card. Like I said, you have to work for it. And in honesty, all honesty, that's like a good spot for these type of cards to be in. I want to have to work to make this work. It's not like Fires of Invention where it's just such a powerful mana engine. You can put it in anything in your deck improves from it that you have to completely build around this. But I think if you do, you will get enough mana out of it that it'll be worth it. Well, so if you have two of these, right, it's like the first one triggers, you put in a three, and then the next one triggers, you have to put in a four, right? I, I don't know how that would work. So I assume that it would check on resolution. Okay. You may be correct. Which is which you is not a bad thing, you know? 
No, then it, then, I mean, it's asking a lot. You have to have a really perfect curve in that scenario, but. Yeah, but like you, you also get to scale up, which obviously yields higher payoffs. So yep. that's kind of cool too. Yep. Yeah, it is. On to multicolored. We have Battle of Frost and Fire 3 UR Saga. Chapter 1, this deals 4 damage to each non-giant creature in each Planeswalker. Chapter 2, Scry 3. Chapter 3, whenever you cast a spell with converted mana cost 5 or greater this turn, draw 2 cards, then discard a card. So, Giant Sweeper, a little bit of selection, then you have to wait until Chapter 3, and you get a little bit of filtering, maybe keep going. Like, this this is fine. I get how it fits into the archetype. It just seems a, a little slow clunky cumbersome but that's kind of what blue red giants is doing it seems like yeah if i was convinced that the one step of the saga was going to be a good enough sweeper in the format then maybe you could sell me on this card but i think it's going to miss too often there's too many big bodies out there things like uh love struck beasts come to mind where they just naturally outsize this and yep it's the problem with Storm's Wrath. I mean, Storm's Wrath fell out of favor pretty hard because it wasn't good enough. And this is, in some ways, worse Storm's Wrath. Even if there is upside attached to the back, I I just think the one has to be very good before you'd even consider playing this card. And I doubt it is. Agreed. Fira's Retribution. One, Dub Dub B, another saga. Chapter one, create a 4-4 White Angel Warrior creature token with Flying and Vigilance. Chapter two... Until end of turn, angels you control gain tap, destroy target creature with power less than this creature's power. And chapter three, angels you control gain double strike until end of turn. So started off the podcast talking about large deltas between my perception of cards and other people's perception of cards. People seem to really like this card. I just don't think it's good at all. I I think it's so medium and you're like four mana, four, four flying vigilance is not good anymore. That's not good enough. If that is removed, the next two phases of this card blank, people are talking like blinking with Yuri and sure that'll happen sometimes, but sagas are awkward to blink. It comes up a lot where you can't really get that much value. And how many four, four flyers do you need before you're just winning the game in a couple turns? Anyway, if that's a reasonable position, they're also so I think- way better four mana cards to blink with Yuri Absolutely. I think people are just looking at this card as pure upside. I see a lot of downside. Basically, I don't think it stands well enough on its own. And that means it would have to rely on Angel Tribal to be good enough. And I haven't seen the pieces for that yet. I I mean, maybe there's enough angels in the set where you can just curve a bunch of angels, but I have to assume an angel curve isn't going to start before three. So if it's three, four, five, and then you're trying to get the double strike at that point, okay, if everything's gone right, that's probably lethal. That's 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 probably enough. But that's absolute magical Christmas land where your opponent hasn't interacted with you whatsoever. If they just have an unsummon for step one and this is your only threat, you now have a blank card for two steps. And I, people are too drawn to the upside at this point. I think this card is entirely medium, maybe playable, but people have been talking about it like it's a absolute format staple and I don't see it at all. Yeah, this this would not make my top 10 list for sure and nope. probably doesn't make my top 20 list. Good. I'm glad I'm I'm not the only one who's a, a naysayer. At some point I was like, is something wrong with me? Like do I just hate everything now and I can't actually get excited about cards cuz people were just like over the moon about this card. And I'm like, this is 
barely playable in in like a normal context to say nothing of a ultra powered throne of eldraine standard yeah i i agree that there's way too many problems with the card and especially when you're looking at it through the lens of like this by itself where you know there's brazen borrower and blood chief's thirst and like all these things that very easily kill a token yeah and the second part of it doesn't kill a whole lot of relevant stuff. And when you're looking at it like, oh, yeah, this is going to help me stabilize against beatdown or whatever. It's like, well, you're still tapping your blocker to do it, right? Yeah, uh, good point. And then the, the third part is just like, whatever. Like, either it kills them or does nothing, you know? Yep. And yep. if you have, like, eight or ten power of angels, you're probably doing okay anyway. So I'm not sure how much you actually need this, so... Uh, we're in complete agreement. Yeah, I, I am. I'm not really about this. And also like Orzov might just be a pretty weak color combination, but a lot of problems. Agreed. Carter's Vicious Return to BR Saga. Chapter one, you may sacrifice a creature. When you do, this deals three damage to any target. Chapter two, each player discards a card. Chapter three, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it. It gains haste until your next turn. I want to be clear that I don't think that this is particularly good. It's got text that's appealing, but it's slow. Very slow. It's just like the re- the reanimate thing kind of gets me where it's like, okay, maybe. And then you think about like how long that takes. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is, this is a card we're talking about because it does have appealing text, but kind of similar to the last card is just like in in actual context how much is this actually doing for you yeah so four mana reanimation spells are rare and i've gotten excited about them before and they basically haven't paid out because i think the way creatures are designed has shifted pretty dramatically and it's real hard for a creature to just enter the battlefield and turn things in that fashion you know there's a lot of creatures with cast triggers that matter or there's creatures with their value is in their versatility things like bone crusher giant brazen borrower it's not for their bodies that we often play creatures anymore so a hasty reanimator spell is good for sure this is so slow though and i i think its existence is going to kind of warp everything around it and i expect there won't be things that just absolutely crush the game on the spot that we can bring back with Carter's Vicious Return? Like, what's the best reanimation target we have right now? Does anything pop to mind for you? Uh, no. I mean, there, like, there, we talked about the demon earlier where it's like, okay, maybe maybe that does some stuff. I'm sure that there's there's something that's like, your opponent takes 10 damage or whatever, but, like, there's, there's nothing that's really, like, you know, ETB kill all your opponent's creatures or yeah, attack yeah. for 20 or whatever. Yeah, even like Noxious Gear Hulk or something would be enough that you could start talking me into it. But I'm not, I'm not sure things get that good in present standard. And maybe they will. Maybe there'll be more to consider in the future. And maybe there'll be enough fodder. Like, obviously, you're supposed to do like the discard elf and sacrifice that. And you can bring that back and you discard a card to this. So you're able to set up your graveyard. And now you've constrained your opponent's resources. And maybe you did some Croxa stuff. That all sounds cool. But it has mostly proven to not be good enough. Trying to run your opponent out of resources when every card comes with 10 resources stapled to it usually doesn't work these days. I wonder if it puts a counter on it strictly so that the thing that you reanimate can't get killed by Heartless Act. 
Uh, that's interesting. Because that's like a pretty weird line of text for a Rakdos card, right? Yeah, red-black doesn't really fit with that. Uh, could be. I don't know. Whatever. Just random thought. Uh, waking the Trolls. There are a lot, of, a lot of troll cards, a lot of Twitter jokes. I'm going to skip that. Uh, 4RG Saga. Chapter 1, destroy target land. Chapter 2, put target land card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Chapter 3, choose target opponent. If they control fewer lands than you, create a number of 4-4 green troll warrior creature tokens with trample equal to the difference. I like this card in theory. I think it would be cool if this was like the top end for some deck, but uh, I, I really don't think we're there, unfortunately. I am thrilled to see destroy target land on a card again. I think that's probably a little underutilized these days. I, I, it shouldn't be Stone Rain, but doing it at six mana is cool. I'm glad it exists. Um, I don't have anything to do with this card yet. It's, it's hard for me to imagine a big gruel deck. Like, you just get big so early in the game that there's no need to go late. Your your bodies are so huge from basically turn three on. So I'll just Ember Cleave you and kill you. There's no reason for me to take the time to wake the trolls. Yeah, I was thinking about just like a ramp deck, right? This can't be the best finisher. Like one more mana and you're getting to Genesis Ultimatum, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's kind of the problem. Yeah, the, the break between six and seven is just too large and you're too incentivized to get to seven. I guess in a mirror where like both players are trying to achieve that. Unfortunately, you also have blue in the mix though. So the mirrors yeah. don't actually play out that way. But Fair. Harold, uh, King of Skemfar, one BG, three, two, legendary creature, elf warrior, menace, when this enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an Elf, Warrior, or Tyvar card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Too tribal for me to comment on. Like, I don't think Tyvar is all that great. It's, it's fine. It could certainly be a reason to play elves but I, I need all the tribal stuff going on around this card to really evaluate it it seems like it should be good enough i mean if the other cards are strong this is nice body nice stats nice return nice immediate return and you know you should be able to build your decks so you're hitting a large percentage of the time uh if if elves are going to be built the way i expect they will be built but i i need to know all the pieces before i can really say if this is a player or not yeah, we've gotten some of the stuff, right? It's like there's the Bose One drop, there's the Burglar Rats, the Three One. Uh, obviously, you have the Planeswalker, so it's like it's coming together. You are seeing more things, but it's close. Yeah. It's close. Uh, well, here's another piece. Harold unites the elves. Two BG Saga, Chapter One. Mill three cards. You may put an Elf or Tyvar card from your graveyard onto the battlefield. Chapter Two. Put a plus one plus one counter on each Elf you control. Chapter Three. Whenever an elf you control attacks this turn, target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. This is cool if it works. If chapter one bricks, just concede. <laughs> that is a good point. Yeah, this card looks good to me on rate in terms of what it's accomplishing. It seems like it could really, really swing some games hard. The elves, like you said, are starting to get close to where I, I believe this could be something. But they're not there yet. Like, I, I don't see this being enough to tie together the package. Getting close, though. So a few more pieces, and maybe I'm a believer in just straight tribal elves, basically pre-con. I mean, it would just be like all stuff from this. Because you can't play that many non-elves in your deck because you need to hit on Herald and you need to hit on this card. So it's it's going to be slim pickings for non-call time cards that get included in this deck, I think. 
Uh, I'm going to just agree with what you said in the dark. I wasn't really listening because uh, two new cards got previewed, so I was reading them. Oh, are they good? Do we have to? I don't know. Let's read throw them. out the podcast and start over. No, let's read them together. How's that sound? Okay, sure. Uh, hit me with them. There's there's a blue card and a land, and we were about to get to the lands anyway. Uh, cool. Kasima, God of Voyage, two U two four, legendary creature God. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile this. If you do, it gains whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control. If this is exiled, you may put a Voyage counter on it. If you don't return this to the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it and draw X cards where X is the number of voyage counters on it. Uh, so th- this is a DFC. I'm still trying to process exactly what this does. Yeah. I, I think I understand it now. Like you basically have to like play a land and charge it up and then you get yep. to do stuff with it. Okay. Yep. So multiple the, lands probably is, is the ideal scenario, but right. What was the power of toughness on it? Two, four. And it, uh, casting cost again. Sorry, it's hard to parse this together listening. I yeah. have more respect for our listeners now. Yeah, 2U, 2-4. 2U, 2-4. Okay. Beginning of upkeep, you can exile it. And then basically once it's in exile, you can play a land to bring it back or put a counter on it. And when it comes back, it's bigger and you draw cards equal to the number of voyage counters on it. Yep. Okay. okay. I'm interested. What do we got for a backside? Backside, the Omen Keel. 1U, 3-3, Legendary Artifact Vehicle. Whenever a vehicle you control deals combat damage to a player, that player exiles that many cards from the top of their library. You may play lands from among those cards as long as they remain exiled, and it crews for one. One more read, please. There's a lot of words in this card. This is a rare, right? It is rare. Uh, Okay. Two mana, 3-3 vehicle, crew one. Whenever a vehicle you control deals combat damage to a player, they exile that many cards, and then you can play lands from them. This card's good. It seems it seems pretty good. Like, you got... This card seems very good. You got a lot of options, and even if it's just, like, you know, vehicle in your beatdown or mid-range deck, you get a little bit of card advantage just in the case of lands. They work well together, yeah. obviously. Uh, so, yeah, this, this seems solid. This is one of those cards where it's like, where the hell does this go? But we'll, we'll figure it out. Can we can we mono blue it? Is this going with our ascendant spirit stuff? I mean, like spirit can crew it up even if you haven't spent any mana on it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was trying to build blue and like the the flash type of thing, but this is probably like yeah. a, a different deck. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Very interesting card. Very wordy card that <laughs> took me a long time to process. And it's two um, sides, man. How do you put that many words on so each many, side? So many words. Either one of those cards is like a fine magic card to exist, right? Like, did it have to be a double face card? Well, I'm there's there's I don't know like all the mythology or whatever, but there's got to be something there, right? It's like this is the ship captain. The backside is their ship. I don't know, man. I'm just tired. <laughs> I, need, I need a nap. All right. Do you want to do the old lands or the new land first? Uh, give me the new land first. Try something new. Gates of Istfel, land, enters the battlefield, tap, tap for white, 2-W-U, tap, sacrifice this, gain two life, draw two cards. Uh, I love card draw on land, so I'm a huge fan. I have done this many, many times. I'll find a home for this. This will see some play somewhere. Enters the battlefield, tapped is interesting because, yeah, we've, we've had... That problem with a lot of stuff. Uh, Azorius had the problem because it, it didn't have the pathway. And it was fine because they were usually, you know, just doing like slow, cumbersome Urian stuff. 
So some amount of ETB tap lands were fine. Uh, but there's also like the DFCs, you know, like how many glass pool mimics or Jawari disruptions do you want to play, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Temples. So you have basically as many lands that ETB tapped that you could possibly want, right? So it will be interesting to see how many of this type of card people put in their decks. Like this is effectively, you know, Memorial of Genius, right. uh, which saw a decent amount of play. So, yeah, I, I just think like that play pattern, like you need to make all your land drops early and you need to be able to turn it into more cards late. is just textbook control. That's like something they look for in so many spots. It's so important for their deck to have access to. And in general, I think people undervalue the cost of playing a tapped land. I think they're way too willing to include tapped lands in their deck. But if the payoff's good enough, then I'll talk myself into it. And I think this is such an important payoff for control decks. I'm on board. Yeah, but then you also have to compare it to like, well, is this better than a temple or is it better than a DFC and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff? So yeah, I, don't, well, I don't know so the answer to that. I am inclined to count DFCs as spells anyway. If I didn't want it as a spell, I wasn't playing it in my deck in most cases so if this is something that lets me push to like 30 lands i'm totally fine with that cool car fell ports land etbs tapped tap add u three ubb tap sacrifice this mill four cards then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped unique it's a unique effect to put on a land and not one that i can really draw any analog to so again the cost is high if your deck is built around this thing like i'm flashing back to scarab god situations where like you were pretty thin on cards you could bring back but it was so game breaking to do so that it was worth it so do you want to guess what creature comes to mind when you're telling me i get to bring something back from the graveyard no because we were just thinking about the reanimator stuff and no but this is different this is just incidental where i'm doing it with my mana base so now i'm bringing back urian of course oh word of course very happily um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, if I'm not building around it, then it then it's fine. And I, I can think of spots where like just bringing back your Urian flips the game on its head. And as a one of, I think this will be fine. Yeah, I think so too. Also thinking about things like, you know, Historic's obviously a lot faster, but it's like this is another way to get uh, a Torrential Gear Hulk back or something. Yeah, that's and a good one. It's it's super low investment. Uh, there's also like maybe your Sultai kind of like self-mill rampy thing where it's like this just, you know, fits into your mana base uh, if you have something worth bringing back. So, I evil titan rebuys in modern. Uh, yeah, dude, I could see this as a tutor target, uh, assuming right. that you can make black mana. Like maybe just being reliant on dryad is fine. But- I, I think so. I mean, if you think about how dependent you are on having, in some cases, dryad, but primeval titan as well. If you're you're so dependent on keeping that card in play, and this is kind of like insurance on your first one. You just go get this immediately. And as long as you have access to the right colors of mana, you are basically removal of you. Now, obviously exile removal changes the tone of that a little bit. Yeah. Path is one of the few ways to actually kill a Titan. Right. So I, I will think about that a little bit more, but it, it's interesting for sure. It, it is cheaper overall than getting a uh, Karu and Teleria West to transmute right. for Summoner's Pact. And, right. and this is like uncounterable, assuming that yeah. you're actually bringing a thing back. So yeah, yeah, a, a definitely a different set of constraints. Like you are, you have to have one in your graveyard and not be exiled. All that stuff comes up, but interesting enough and probably low cost enough that you can include one in your mana base that it should see a little bit of play there. I think. Yeah. 
Cert land, frozen flame, land, ETBs tapped, tap add red, two, U, R, R, tap, sacrifice this, scry two, this deals two damage to each creature, activate this ability only time you cast a sorcery. Way lower on this one. This just seems lower impact at the stage of the game that it would come online. So at, you again, if the cost is low enough, you'll find a home for it, but I don't need to go out of my way to play a copy of this. Uh, I kind of agree with you, but that's like the Giants game plan, it seems like. And it's especially kind of nice where it's like you have like these three fours and five fours and this clears out all the chump blockers. And, you know, if you're trying to kill people with Calamity Bearer or whatever, then... Maybe, maybe. Again, uh, somewhat low opportunity cost to have some ETB tap lands in your deck, but obviously can't overload on them. Right. Yeah, a little low on the payoff side of things. It's all about opportunity cost. If I can get away with it, then fine. But uh, definitely less impactful than the other two we've discussed. The World Tree lands. This ETB is tapped. Tap, add G. As long as you control six or more lands, lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color. And you can pay 10 mana, double Wooberg, tap, sacrifice this, search your library for any number of god cards, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. How many gods are you actually trying to play? Uh, none. Because this card is trash. I don't it's think... just trash. I don't think it's trash, but... Trash. I don't think it's like, you know, this is, this is going to be a tier one deck. Like, 11 mana is a lot. It is a lot, a lot, right? All right. Let me let me go back. I'm being reductive. That's not fair. I should actually make my position known on this card because it is more nuanced than this card is trash. Again, I am reacting a lot on the delta between my perceptions of this card and seemingly community perceptions of this card where they think it's like a straight up meaningful mana fixer. I just don't think so at all. I don't think I'm ever playing it in that context unless I'm tutoring for it. So in scenarios where, like we just discussed, where you have a primeval titan and you need to get all your mana on board, maybe then it's useful. Scenarios where you have like a Golos, this might be better than Cascading Cataracts. It probably is better than Cascading Cataracts, in fact. Yeah, because so, cataracts, cataracts puts you down a mana, right? Right, right. So that's fine. Those are real uses of this card. But in terms of like, this is supposed to fix a mana, your mana in your Soul Tide deck or whatever... I don't buy that whatsoever. Like if you're just waiting until turn six for your mana to come online, you must have already lost. Like there's no way you're still in the game at that point. And the cost of this coming into play tapped and just being a crappy forest is huge. The God side of things is interesting. At, at that point, we're talking about something different. We're talking about a quasi combo deck and that's fine. I can see if you have the right gods, which we will not know until everything's put together and you can just assemble like a one turn kill then okay, you you have me, I'm into it. You can maybe build around that. It looks like something like the old Omnidor decks where it just fix your mana, get loads of mana on the battlefield, and then you have this this Oko, this one, one turn KO that you can set up. So if that is possible, I'm higher on it. But it's just a mana fixer. I, I couldn't believe the reaction to this card and how much people were into the idea of you just get to play this and all your mana woes are fixed. I think this creates way more mana woes than it fixes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we have plenty and, of dual lands. What yeah. do you, if you're trying to play like straight five colors, then okay, this, this fixes your mana, right? But if you're, if you're talking about fixing your mana in Sultai, you don't need this. What are you the, doing? The mana requirements in your deck have to be reaching like a desperate threshold before I'm considering this mana fixing. And then I, I better have some broader plan. And at that point, like my plan better be something like 
turn on the world tree and have a one turn kill. Cause that's the only reason I'm going down all those hoops to try and get to the place where this is actually a good card. The funny thing about this is like search your library for any number of gods, put them on the battlefield. If you're like, well, I'm going to play like one of this God to give all my things haste and one of this God to pump up all my, what if you naturally draw them? You're, yes. you're playing a long enough game that you're going to have 11 mana in play. And you think that your your combo kill, your multi-piece combo kill is like all still going to be in your deck. You're you're gonna be disappointed a lot of the time. Uh you can mask wood nexus if you would like, Gerald. I understand I understand. If you're interested in just playing the creatures you like anyway. Yeah, but this is an eleven mana thing. So you need a bunch of resources to activate this. And then you're talking about like also just chilling for a turn to spend four mana on that thing that basically does nothing. Yep. It's, it's huge a investment. Lot. It's a huge lot. investment. Yeah, I, I am not sold on this being a meaningful card. I I am trying to lay out the scenarios where it could potentially work because I called it trash, which was a little overbearing probably. It's not very good. It's not going to be a large part of the format. It has some niche roles. And maybe if the gods were good enough, you could even talk me into building a deck around it. But it's not impressive on its face, that's for sure. I like these episodes because we get to talk context and nuance. But I think that if we just did like the hot or not podcast, we'd probably have more listeners. Probably. Or maybe that's that maybe that's what we're supposed to we're supposed to post the summary on YouTube, right? I think I think that <laughs> just is up, what, down. Yeah, I think that's what a Twitter account is for for the most part. Like that's where you just fire off your blistering takes without any context and let people run with them. Ugh. <laughs> exactly. I, I think it's like that is definitely what happens on Twitter. I would prefer if Twitter was not used for that and everyone should just take that crap over to YouTube. Uh, character limits are a heck of a drug. It is. It's tough. Uh, last card, Faceless Haven, Snowland, Tap, Add C, Snow, Snow, Snow. This becomes a 4-3 creature of the Vigilance and all creature types until end of turn. It's still a land. Uh, as far as creature lands go... This is fine. It's not super exciting. Maybe you can do stuff with it being a changeling, but I'm not so sure about this. And we also have like a lot of pretty reasonable uh, utility lands and like colorless value lands. But yep. this this is a snow land still, so it does contribute to Jorn and stuff like that. So maybe it's worth taking the downgrade on the land just to have it make snow mana. Depends on yeah. what your deck is. So where I was trying to be mono green, I think my color requirements were a little too harsh to include this. Now that like mono blue snow is starting to be something that I'm interested in, I can revisit the idea of playing this card and having it be meaningful. It, it depends what that deck looks like. Um, if it's you know more towards the flash side of things or more towards the sorcery side of things. I think the immediate comparison is something like Mutavault, uh, but three is infinitely more than two i know it feels like only one more it's not it's infinitely more i promise you and all the scenarios that mute vault sets up uh, are going to be much harder to come across agree completely oh mute vault's one to activate it's not two as soon as i said that something went off in my head like no 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 stop 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 mute vault's one so three is about 10 million bazillion okay. more. So so I most one. I mostly agree with you. Clearly I wasn't listening <laughs> a lot. I was basically checking if if we uh did questions this week. So no, I was like, we didn't do questions. Okay. You yelled at me last week when we did questions. So I, I didn't do questions this week. Yeah, and I was I was gonna say, man, I hope there are not questions because this is almost two hours. Uh so 
we should probably just wrap this up and be done. How's that sound? Uh, it sounds like that's game. Good luck.